Hey everybody, how you doing today? Good. I like the energy. It's a little bit of, you know, dreary outside, but we can come to the house of the Lord and study His Word. I'm excited about that. Well, uh, you guys may know Mark Twain. Mark Twain is America's most famous author. I know him as the man with the mustache. And uh, he's, he famously wrote Tom Sawyer and the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which is considered by many to be America's, uh, one of the greatest American novels ever, wit ever written. He was a quick wit and had a great sense of humor. On one occasion, somebody asked Mark Twain, what's a man without a woman? And he said, scarce, sir, very scarce. <laughs> I like that line. Well, uh, Mark Twain found his woman in 1867 when he saw a miniature painting of a young woman named Olivia. And as the legend goes, when Mark Twain saw this picture of Olivia, uh, he fell in love on the spot. Well, as many of you know, Mark Twain um, was a, a bit of a guy who uh, ridiculed people who believed in the Bible. He was not a, a person of faith. Uh, but it turns out that Olivia was a Christian. And uh, he, uh, she grew up in a Christian home, raised in a Christian family. She went to church on Sunday, and she was convinced that she was going to turn Mark Twain into a Christian. And, of course, they, they dated, and during that season, um, Mark Twain, as, as what happens many times, downplayed his faith, or, excuse me, downplayed his lack of faith, and as typically happens, they fell in love, and she agreed to marry him. Uh, during that uh, season of romance, that early romance, um, you know, Mark Twain, he was reading his Bible every night. They were going to church together, discussing sermons. They would even pray together. Uh, but after the honeymoon was over, uh, Mark Twain went back to ridiculing Christians, uh, mocking his wife's beliefs. He stopped going to church and stopped reading his Bible. And uh, Olivia, too, ended up uh, walking away from the church. Um, in the years that would follow, um, they would experience, as a married couple, many great reversals including a complete financial collapse and loss, and the death of a beloved daughter, which you can imagine how hard that would be to go through. Well, at one point, Mark Twain, attempting to comfort his grieving wife, said, Livy, if it comforts you to lean on your do so. And she replied sadly, I cannot I do not have any faith left. Isn't that amazing? Here's someone who, as a young woman, was passionate about her faith in Christ. She wanted to lead others to know Jesus, read her Bible. And yet later in life, it was her non-Christian husband saying, lean on your faith. And yet at that point, it was, too, it was too late. Her faith was gone. It's a bit of the story of the book of Hebrews, isn't it? We've been studying Hebrews together here at Hope. 
in this series. If you're just joining us, Hebrews was written to Christians who were thinking about abandoning the faith. They were thinking about walking away from Jesus, going back to their life before Christ. And the message of Hebrews is, don't give up, don't give in, stick with Jesus because Jesus is better. You know, all of us as Christians, we share a common experience that's difficult. And we often don't talk about it. Many of us know people that we thought were believers, people we thought were Christians, just like Olivia, who at some point later on would walk away from the faith. I think most of us, if we think through our life, we know these stories. These stories hit close to home, you know, even here in our own church. I told you a few weeks ago um, about my brother. You know, he, he, got a, he met Jesus. He got excited about Jesus in his 20s. Gave his life to Christ, got baptized, got plugged into a church. Was active in a church for many years. And I'll never forget the day where he just said, Brian can't believe any of this anymore. It's heartbreaking. I think about the teenagers back when I was a youth pastor who loved the Lord, who were active in our youth ministry. Walked away from the faith. And I think if you think through your life, you might have some of those stories too. People that you knew who one time were active in their faith. Who are no longer walking with Jesus. These are painful, painful stories. We actually have a word for this. I shared this a few weeks ago. It's the word apostasy. Apostasy. It's a word we don't use a lot at church. We don't often talk about this issue. And um, as Angie and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, she said, what's apostasy again? So I thought, you know, before we talk about this theme of apostasy today, we should really define this word. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, let me explain what apostasy is not. An apostate is not just a non-Christian. We all know people who don't know Jesus, they're not saved, they're far from God. We all know non-Christians. A non-Christian is not an apostate. That's not apostasy. Apostasy is not just somebody who's struggling with their faith. An apostate is not just someone who's struggling with their faith. Isn't that good news? Because we all struggle with our faith, don't we? There are days where I struggle in my walk with God. Okay, and sometimes, sometimes that struggle leads us to the depths of sin and disobedience. Look at the story of King David in the Bible. He had a season of serious sin and disobedience. But we wouldn't call King David an apostate. That's not what apostasy is. An apostate is someone who has professed faith in Jesus. There's someone who has who has come to Christ, they were in church, they looked like a Christian, and then at some point abandons Jesus and walks away from their faith. In other words, they looked like a true believer, 
but it turns out they never really were. And so far we've seen this theme of apostasy is all over the book of Hebrews. It's one of the themes in Hebrews. I mentioned a few weeks ago that Hebrews is famous for its warning passages. There are five warning passages. So far we've looked at two of them. And just to remind you, here's a little bit of the flavor. So if you want to know the, the verses of the warning passages, they're up there, but I'm just going to give you a, a snippet. Warning passage number one is Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, where it says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Pay attention so that we do not drift away. It's a picture here of a ship that drifts away in the current, and ultimately it's lost at sea. Here's warning passage number two. Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 13. That's a little bit longer of a warning passage. It says in that section, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away. Literally, the Greek word there is apostenai, or literally apostatizing. That's where we get that word right there from the text. An unbelieving heart that literally apostatizing from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's de deceitfulness. And it goes on how those who, um, they will not enter God's rest because of their unbelief. Guys, these are serious, sobering warnings. Warning passage number three, Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 12. And you say, oh, yeah, we looked at that a little bit last week, didn't we? You know, we actually began this warning last week as we talked about spiritual immaturity. Why is spiritual immaturity such a big deal? Hebrews wants us to know that spiritual immaturity puts us in danger of drifting away from the Lord. Immaturity puts us in danger of getting caught up with the current and drifting out to sea. So today, we're going to look at the rest of warning passage number three. And if you have your Bible or a Bible app, I would encourage you, open it up to Hebrews 6. We're actually going to get today to one of the most stunning and frightening warning passages in the Bible, particularly in the book of Hebrews. New Testament professor, while you're turning to Hebrews 6, New Testament professor Scott McKnight says, Few are the number of Christians who have not been at least troubled by the warning passages of Hebrews. Troubled perhaps to the point of despair or even terror. If that's true of the warning passages in general, that is particularly true of the warning passage we're going to look at today. So what do we say about those who have professed faith in Jesus but end up walking away from the faith? What do we say about that? Were they ever really saved? Or were they saved and they lost their salvation? If there are stories like this, can we have any assurance of our own, own salvation? And if so, how? 
Those are the questions I want to look at today. So let's see what Hebrews has to say. Check this out. Hebrews 6, 4 through 20. Hebrews 6, 4 through 20. This is what it says. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to, to repentance. It is impossible for those, and it lists them, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it's farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things in your case, things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Keep going. When God made this promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, who has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for warning us when danger comes our way. And Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit um, that can encourage us to find our hope and our rest in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And I pray today as, the, as we come to your word, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who makes awesome promises. We thank you that you are a God that pours out blessing upon us. And Father, I pray that today um, that we would drink that up in a way that produces a beautiful harvest in our life. Lord, help me as I speak. Help us as we hear. Um, we need you. We cannot do this on our own, Lord. So please um, stir our hearts to the hope that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're looking at two things here. You might have felt it in the passage. 
there's first of all a warning and then our author moves to the encouragement so there's warning and encouragement in this very difficult passage that we're looking at today one of the most challenging passages here in the book of hebrews so let's start with our warning here's our warning today don't fall away don't fall away we get this sobering sobering warning and i would just ask you kind of as we get started who are those in this passage who fall away you know it's very interesting because the person being described in this passage looks a lot like a believer doesn't it in fact this person looks so much like a believer that you're going to look at this description and you're going to say this looks like a believer who has lost their salvation when in fact that's exactly exactly not what is happening here hebrews is actually telling us something very different it's saying that some christians will look like believers but in the in the end later they will prove to fault take a look at verses four through six here's the description we get of this person who falls away verses four through six it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the holy spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance to their loss they are crucifying the son of god all over again subjecting him to public disgrace you read that description you go wow that sounds like a believer and guys that's exactly the point this is somebody who looks like a christian but in the end they fall short and if you look at this description each of these descriptions this looks like someone who's a believer and in each case they just fall short description starts with they have once been enlightened they've been enlightened their eyes have been opened to the truth of who god is their eyes have been opened to who god is who they are their eyes have once been enlightened they've tasted the heavenly gift and i and i i would say that's the gift of salvation they've tasted this gift of salvation in other words they prayed the prayer they came forward you know they seemingly received christ they shared in the holy spirit and the power of the age to come they've, they've seen the work of the holy spirit in some way they have experienced his power they're not unfamiliar with it they've tasted the goodness of the word of god sat through sermons been in bible studies taught in classrooms preached from pulpits they tasted the goodness of the word of god and yet hebrews says and yet it is possible to experience all the blessings of the christian life and to walk away from christ that's what our passage is saying and listen it says this person hebrews says crucifies the son of god all over again so this we're not talking about somebody who doesn't know jesus we're talking about someone who knows jesus turns away and says he is dead to me and they say that it says to their loss to their loss 
Because if you walk away from Jesus, where else are you going to go? He is the final word, as it says in Hebrews 1. See, I think at the root of apostasy, I think at the root of falling away, is a heart that ignores and is no longer grateful for the eternal life we have in Christ through his blood shed by dying on the cross for our sins. And when you begin to walk away from that, where else are you going to go? How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? In fact, it says it is impossible if we persist in this, if we persist in unbelief, it is impossible, it says, to be brought back from, to repentance. You know, apart from a miracle of God, I would say. And what I want to argue today is that when we see this happen, I want to argue this isn't a loss of salvation. This is somebody who never had it to begin with. Where do we get that? We look at the next verses, and, and I just want to say how clarifying these next verses are. Verse 7 Verse 7, it says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But the land that produces thorns and, and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So what's he saying here? He's saying there's, there's a farm. And on this farm, there are two kinds of, of soil. And both of these soils get the rain. Both of them absorb the rain. The rain, it's, it's the blessings of God. It's the blessings of the Christian life. And on this farm, there are two soils. Both are experiencing the rain. But look at the difference in these two soils. One soil produces a crop, the other thorns. There are two, two soils. You'll also notice in the book of Hebrews, there are two hearts. Isn't that interesting? Jesus compares heart to soil in his own parables. Hebrews has two soils. It has two hearts. There is the sinful, unbelieving heart that we looked at in Hebrews 3 that falls away from the living God. And there's the heart in Hebrews 10, the sincere heart that draws near to God with full assurance. You've got two hearts. And isn't it crazy? Both of those are in the church. And here's the kicker. We can't always tell whose heart is which heart, right? We can't always tell. Jesus actually tells a parable this way. He tells the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Remember that parable? And he talks about there's a field, and in that field, there's wheat and there's tares. Both are growing. And do you remember at first, you can't tell the wheat from the tares? Do you remember that? And uh, those of you who don't know about wheat and tares... As wheat and tares begin to grow, they actually look alike. That is, until the fruit begins to appear. And so that's why Jesus says, let them grow together until the harvest. Because in the end, you're going to know which one's the wheat and which one's the tares. And Jesus says, I want you to take the tares and burn them in the fire and bring the wheat into the barn. He says, wait though until the end. Because in the end, you're going to know. But I think sometimes we get confused and we say, wow, can a Christian lose their salvation? 
And the answer to that is no. See, an apostate isn't somebody who was a Christian and now isn't. An apostate is somebody who looked like a genuine believer, but later was found out not to be one. Does that make sense? There's a big difference between those two things. At a, at a previous church, I knew a man named Albert, just to, to let you guys know how deceptive this can be. Albert is a guy who had a passion for the Lord. He was a police officer. He had a very charismatic veneer, big personality. And Albert wanted to be a missionary. And so he and his family went to Guatemala to serve on the mission field. Um, we as a church, we supported them. We sent them. And Albert, who was a former police officer, began to train police officers in Guatemala. He began to tell them about Jesus. Many of those police officers gave their lives to Christ. Our team brought a church down to Guatemala to experience some of the work, to see what God was doing in Albert's life. And it was amazing. We got to see the difference he was making. You know, we, we brought a team... Um, Part of that team, we had some, some youth, and we had one young man who didn't grow up in a Christian home. Albert led him to faith in Christ. That young man is now a pastor today. Isn't that amazing? Well, years later, Albert and his family came home from the mission field. And next thing we know, Albert's walked away from his family. He's getting a divorce. He's walked away from the faith. Guys, I'm not sure Albert's ever coming back. Church, do you hear me today? Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, don't fall away. Don't do it. Don't walk away from Jesus. Don't get to the end and hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Don't let that happen to you. With stories like that, is there any way to have assurance of salvation? Can we have any encouragement in our faith? Guys, we can. And I want to share a little bit how, because our author turns from warning to encouragement. You guys ready for some encouragement this morning? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's heavy stuff, right, that we just talked about. We need to hear that. The warning is don't fall away. The encouragement here, draw near in Christ with full assurance. That's my encouragement to you today, is to draw near to Christ today with full confidence and assurance. Listen to what comes next. Verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're convinced of better things. Everybody say better things. Better things. We're convinced of better things in your case. Things that have to do with salvation. Whew. Whew. <laughs> Isn't that kind of like a little bit reassuring to everybody? Here the author of Hebrews is saying, even though I've had to speak like this, he is convinced... Guys, and we are convinced of you, Hope Community Church, of better things in your case. Things that have to do with salvation. We're convinced of that. 
And our author begins to draw out some of the beautiful things he sees in them, verse 10 and 11. Remember, we talked about the, the soils and the fruit. Well, the author's drawn out some of the fruit here. Verse 10 and 11, God is not unjust. He will not forget. And what does he mention here is the good fruit he sees in them? Your work. The love you've shown him. You've helped his people and you continue to help him. Wow, what a description of you, Hope Community Church. This is what we see in you. And God will not forget your work, your service. Teenagers who went door to door yesterday inviting people out to a neighborhood picnic. The way you serve on Sunday mornings, the way you give your life. He's not going to forget that, church. I see a church excited to serve here. I see a church that has a passion for Jesus. The love you've shown him that's characterized by a humility and a dependence on him. That's you, Hope family. And we see how you reach out to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have helped his people. God will not forget that. The fruit is encouraging, he says. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. That's in the NIV. If you look at the ESV, which is a more literal translation, it says this. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Is there a full assurance of salvation for the believer in Jesus today? You better believe there is. And that's our desire for you, church family, is that you would have the full assurance of hope today in Jesus Christ. See, as encouraging as the fruit is, by the way, we're not saved by our good works, are we? Right? That's not, that's not the basis of our salvation. So for us to experience the full assurance of faith, which, which we all want, right, we have to take our eyes off of ourselves because we fail, and we have to put our eyes on Jesus because Jesus never does. That's where the full assurance is found. That's the anchor for your soul. Not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his promises he's made to you. Our author illustrates this with Abraham. You know, Abraham, here's a guy who found assurance by trusting in the character of God. He says this in verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. Only God can do that. It's like when I make this promise... I swear by myself, you know, like God can do that because of who he is, because of his character. And God says, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Sometimes it's, it's a patient wait with God. But in the end, you will receive what was promised. See, I love this. It's a great picture of what we're talking about, of finding our assurance in the character of God. Abraham trusted God's promise. And he depended on God's character. It's why Abraham's in the hall of faith, right? Because he believed and he received what was promised and he trusted in the character of God. The author goes on to say in verse 16, people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose 
very clear. Guys, God's character doesn't change. He has an unchanging character. That's pretty awesome. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hope of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So if you're a Christian today and you're here and you struggle with the assurance of your salvation, you can be greatly encouraged. You can be encouraged because of who God is. You can be encouraged today because your salvation doesn't depend on your character, but on the character of God. And because of who God is, he will keep his promises. His promises for you are not going to change. So you can hold on to Jesus because Jesus is not going to let go of you. What are God's promises for us? You know, the, the famous ones are the good ones. John three sixteen. God so loved you. God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's God's promise. If you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life with him. Romans 10, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead. What does it say? Might? Might have? What does it say again? Will. Oh, will. Will have. Thank you. <laughs> will have eternal life. This is my favorite for, you know, assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what? Know. No. I've written this to those who believe in Jesus' name so that you will know. So that you will have the full assurance today that you have eternal life. Wouldn't it be awesome to know today that you have eternal life? God is a part of your life, that your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't that be awesome to know today? That would be awesome. The Bible says, here's how you know. Believe in Jesus. Put your trust in him. Don't depend on your own righteousness. <laughs> depend on the righteousness of Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That's where the anchor holds. After a service at St. Paul's Cathedral in Loveland, <laughs> up in Loveland, excuse me. Uh, at a, after service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, Queen Victoria asked her chaplain, anybody been watching some of the, the Queen Vic, Queen Victoria? It's, I love that uh, show. Anyways, um, Queen Victoria asked her chaplain, can one be absolutely sure in this life of eternal security? Well, she wasn't really satisfied with the chaplain's reply. So news of her question was published and it was picked up, and it came to the attention of an evangelist by the name of John Townsend, who wrote the following letter to Queen Victoria. To Her Gracious Majesty, 
with trembling hands but heartfelt love, and because I know that we can be absolutely sure now of our eternal life in the home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask you, Your Most Gracious Majesty, and I would encourage this for you if you have questions, I would ask you, Your Most Gracious Majesty, to read the following passage of Scripture. John 3.16, Romans 10, 9 and 10. These passages prove that there is full assurance of salvation by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for those who believe and accept his finished work. Two weeks later, John received an unexpected reply. To John Townsend, your letter of recent date I received and in reply would state that I have carefully and prayerfully read the portion of Scripture referred to. I believe in the finished work of Christ for me and trust by God's grace to meet you in that home of which Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Signed personally, Queen Victoria. How do we find assurance of salvation today? It's by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You guys know that song says, I dare not trust? Yeah, the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's the anchor. That's the anchor that holds me, even when I struggle to hold on to him. Listen to the work of Jesus on your behalf, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary. In the Old Testament, there was a, a tabernacle, and there was a, a holy place, and then there was a veil, and then there was the holiest place of all. Only one person, the high priest, got to go into the holiest place, but once a year. And what does this passage say? Our hope <clears throat> enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In other words, my hope isn't in my righteousness. My hope is in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And because of his finished work on the cross, we now have access into the inner sanctuary, behind the curtain. This is where you get to go because you have a forerunner, Jesus, the great high priest. He went there on our behalf and we can follow him in, into the, into the greatest place of God's majesty in the universe. We get to go right into the Holy of Holies to stand in awe of the glory of God with full confidence and full assurance. Not because of my work, because of his work on my behalf. So it is our privilege today in Christ to draw near with a full assurance of hope. Draw near. Don't fall away. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, so much for the challenge. Thank you for the encouragement. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus, who is our anchor.
Thank you, God, for coming to do what we could never do. And that's pay the penalty for our sins. Think about our lives. We think about our own struggles in our walk with Christ. And I just thank you that even when we're not faithful, you are. You went to the cross. You paid the price. You paid it in full. And you said, it is finished. And so today, we grab on to the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And we let go of that old life and we cling to the new. If there's anyone here, God, who has never said yes to that, I pray that today would be the day. Thank you for the opportunity to believe in Jesus and have eternal life, Lord. If there's anybody here that has not done that, this is your moment to turn from your sin and to trust Jesus as your one and only Savior for sin. Thank you, Jesus, that we can have confidence before your throne. Thank you that we can come and worship you. We are so grateful for who you are. Thank you that you don't lie. Thank you that you don't change. Thank you that you are an awesome God. And we get to come today to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our love, with all of our joy. We give it to you all because you gave it all to us. In Jesus' name, amen.